once I knew that it was working with Noah, I knew that we were going to build towards uh, an engagement. And I, as soon as we thought, as soon as the idea of engagement came in, I'm like, oh, it has to be four gold rings to replace his four silver rings because they were such a part of who he is. And I also felt like it was a beautiful way and an easy way of showing just how well Patrick knows David. Welcome to EW's Binge. I'm Shana Naomi Crockmall. And I am Patrick Gomez. We are binging our way through an entire show that we love so much with one podcast episode focused on each season. Uh, today we are talking about Schitt's Creek season five. Uh, the show obviously originally aired on the CBC and Pop TV. Maybe not obviously, I don't know, but because you probably are watching obviously. it on- uh, no, if, obviously. If you're, if you're binging it, you're probably watching it on Netflix. <laughs> um, that voice that you're hearing is uh, co-creator and star Dan Levy, uh, who is here to answer all of our burning questions. Where to watch, everything. what it all meant, if what happened. up until this point, this is almost a bittersweet last chapter. No, we can just keep talking. I'll have to come back once. You'll have to come back for out. six. Absolutely. Feels like a complete. We'll just do. We're the like box all. Right we're all in on Shit's Creek right now. You're gonna get so much more from that. EW about Shit's Creek. This this will just be part of it. Great. Yeah. All right. Um, Happy to be here. Thank we're you. so glad to have you. And now we can um, stop worrying about spoiling anything. Except for season six, obviously. Imagine. The show ends with. <laughs> um, oh, whoops. Did uh-huh. I say that? So we're just going to. Don't listen to this if you have not watched all five seasons. And if you haven't watched do. all five. I mean, or just it, do. It, I mean, and do. Or jump, right, go jump back. right to the end. You could do. You could be really novel and sort of watch from five back to one. I watched them out of order, okay. actually. So when my wife, who had been saying, you have to watch the show you have to watch the show and and then debating a little bit because she knows I'm very finicky about comedy and she mm. was worried I wouldn't love it as much as she does right. and so she was nervous about it when she finally talked me into it I was because I kept walking in and she'd be watching it uh-huh. and I walked in on a scene in season three with David and Patrick and I was like what is this gay show you're watching what's right. happening there's some gay shit happening right. and she was like okay so I basically started in season three watched three four five mostly right. in order and then okay. looped back around and okay. just rewatched everything and I to be honest so my my husband is a big fan of uh, the Christopher Guest movies and, yeah. and e- Eugene and Catherine's work for, for forever. Sure. And so he, the minute he heard about the show, was like, oh, I'd be into this. And so he watched season one, like, religiously. And I would, like, I was like, oh, like, I would watch it with him on the couch. But it was right. more like his show that I watched with right. him. And I have to tell you, um, the minute one of season two... Like, I was like, no, this is the best show ever. Like, like I was watching it and enjoying it, but I was enjoying yeah. it, like, on the same level I was enjoying everything else. And then Moira freaks out about her missing bag. Um, yes. David is missing. Her son is yeah, missing, yeah, yeah. but she is concerned because about her, her brown bag, bag yeah. and not the peacock feather bag. Like, no. that, that, from that second on, I was like, no, this this went from being one of my favorite shows to being, like, my favorite show. <laughs> well, that tipping so point great. of obsession. I'm so glad we wrote that missing bag story. Though. There we go. It, yeah. it, it, it hooked me in. No, but uh, obviously now, and now we're all the way now to, we're all the way here five. yeah i'm oh. five years older <laughs> you don't look it though <laughs> we're all five years Thanks. older but it we're all, all five years great. older and uh and we're here to we're here to talk about the the penultimate season of of schitt's creek yeah so before we go yeah. into as yeah. apparently i'm gonna say nine thousand yeah. times uh dive. deep dive yeah. before we deep dive yeah. uh we're gonna have you give us a 30 second uh recap of the season great. okay are you ready yeah, so we are like entrenched in the town. We are we have feet firmly planted on the ground. You have the character of Johnny now running a motel alongside Stevie. It's a business opportunity now for him and he's he's getting his fire back in terms of his entrepreneurial spirit and Moira is 
exploring the idea of, of, of acting again. She's gotten a role in a movie called The Crows Have Eyes, The Crowning, in which she plays a title character. Oh, I have three seconds left. And then the rest of the characters do stuff, and it's really fun. So um, that is the worst recap I've done so far. <laughs> do you want to do it? panicked near the end. It's okay. Do you want another take? I mean, another do you try? want another take? Do you want me to do it again? I mean, I, I we think... could keep both takes. And then let's try a revamped like 60 one. 60 seconds. Yeah, sure. let's try it again. And yeah. I'll, when I fail on this, then. And when you hear this on the podcast, know that we told Dan we were going to do that, but we're just going to play both. <laughs> I just said we're going to take both. We're definitely okay. going to take both. I'm, I'm going to do this in like it. 15 seconds. Uh, season five is teeing up our final season. Our characters are trying to find happiness in this town, and slowly but surely, I think they're going to find it. Uh, at the same time, they are nourishing their spirits and souls and their professional impulses, and love is blossoming, life is blossoming, and, uh, and we are celebrating these people now uh, five seasons in. That was great. I thought like I just I held onto my chair like I was on a flight, like waiting to make sure you could I get was it all so the way panic. through. That was great. You did amazing. Okay. Um, okay. You mentioned you mentioned uh, <laughs> heading into our final season. Did you know at this point you had a season six and that would be your last one? Yes. Okay. So what goes into planning differently now that you know your end? A lot. Sorry. I mean, I think we've been very thoughtful in the entire approach. I knew, you know, season after season that we were going to that that. The, the premise of the show was that the more you watch, the more emotionally you, invested you get because you are sort of loving and learning about these characters in this, at, at the same time that they are starting to love and learn themselves. Um, so obviously season three is going to be more emotional than season one, and obviously season five is going to be slightly deeper and more dimensional in terms of the emotionality and the comedy and, and the character uh, work that you know than than season three. So uh, it was just about how do you start to tell things knowing that there will be an end. And I knew that we had 28 episodes to do that in, and how do you go about wrapping up this story? In a, res in a way that feels respectful and exciting. And, and uh, I think season five, we sort of still knew that we had some runway ahead of us. Um, and, uh, and really just, you know, I wanted it to be a celebration. I've always wanted this show to be sort of a celebration of life and, uh, and how when you learn that, you know, what's truly important is the relationships in your life and the happiness and the love, that that is something to celebrate. So. Season five is is the biggest season I think we've ever done. It's the most ambitious season we've done. I mean, six is, which I'm shooting right now. I don't know when this is going to air, but and I think for those of you listening, we're in the middle of shooting our final season. Um, but I think with everything, it's like stakes have been raised and expectations have been raised, and you want to continue to tell the stories in, in, in a way that people have come to love, but also to continue to push the boundaries in terms of how far can we take these characters and, and what, what can we make them do. So then what's the problem? Our director appears to be on a kamikaze mission to sink this ship, and I refuse to be the goddess on its prow. Well, if you're not enjoying yourself anymore, sweetheart... Then coming home is always an option. I mean, you must be missing your family. Oh, thank you, John, but that's not it. This was supposed to be my comeback vehicle, and opportunities like this come along ever so infrequently. Well, Moira, I feel the answer is right in front of you. This isn't some rinky-dink made-for-TV movie or a voice gig for an X-rated Japanese video game. That, that was rated M for Mature John? All I'm saying is you have an opportunity here. And if you want it bad enough, you've got to fight for it.
You're right. The crows have eyes was something I always knew I wanted to see. Well, you planted the seed the like season, season before. three, right? She auditioned We've... for it, and then it was a terrible deal where she had to like fly herself there and put herself and up I, with a. I think thing. that was the crows have eyes too, two. right? And so somehow they that got back. made anyway. They, it got made. They come back for three, and with a better deal. Right. Uh, the crow and Moira is staying in a bed or breakfast. <laughs> She chooses the bed because she gets fed at work. Uh, smart lady. Smart lady. And I remember pitching it to Catherine saying, like, I think we're going to start with you in a nest in full prosthetic. And she was like, okay. I love that it kind of jumps into it. I remember watching it at the start and being like, did I miss where she booked? Like, <laughs> no, like, here no. she is. And so had you... There was a period of time. There was a big period of time between uh, uh, four and five. Um, and a lot had changed. We, we sort of jumped ahead in terms of the storytelling. Um, relationships had been formed. I think because we had our holiday episode mm. before, which aired in December, we got to see for the one and only time the town in the wintertime because our show takes place in the summers and, uh, and all the stories sort of are, are summer stories. So there had been a six month period of time. So what does that look like when we find our characters sort of six months even deeper into this, into this sort of t time frame? And had you always known that you wanted to go back to this crow? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you knew the whole time. Are I there wanted other her things? to have a big win. I wanted Moira to finally be validated because she has been uh, really pushing against the, the she pushes against the, you know, she just, just she tries her best, and she, uh, for all her talk, I wanted there to be a legitimacy to her career. Yes, well, nothing is a sure thing in this business. Nothing is a sure thing, which is why you should look at every opportunity as a pearl in an unchecked oyster. I would hardly call this an opportunity. I, I worked in soaps. They had me playing my own father, who then became pregnant despite the vasectomy. I still hold the record for the longest-running demonic possession on daytime yeah. television. Okay, what's your point? We were number one. Every project has potential. If you allow yourself to see it and give it the respect it deserves, others just may follow suit. Yeah, I really wouldn't know where to start with this one. Hmm. Well, here are my revisions. And if you care to discuss them, I'll be running lines in the nest. And I feel like you see in this episode, especially like in this in the croning and in the conversation she's having with the director, you see that like truly Moira is a director. She's so gifted yeah. at that shaping what the reality should be based yeah. on her idea because she sort of lived this entire life where she just decided here's uh -huh. what it is. And that her experience actually came in handy that the yeah. time that she had spent on Sunrise Bay and her experiences personally like navigating life as a as an actress would would be of, of some use and uh, You know the fact that she sort of heard the director is being difficult because he doesn't see any value in the movie And she sort of says like we have to see value in this because that's the only way we can get through it and uh, to have that sort of quiet win for her on set and then to see her sort of triumph as, as Dr. Clara in the nest. In the least quiet way possible. I remember her coming out of the, the hair and makeup truck in that wig and the prosthetic beak and being like, okay, great, this is, this is exactly what I wanted. My dear murder, soon we will once more walk amongst the humans. But until that day comes, we must remember the crows don't just have eyes. We also have wings. 
you didn't like the rewrites. Uh, I don't know why, or really even how, but something about this actually works. And, uh, and what Catherine did in that scene was so brilliant and strange and the voice the half crow voice can you was, do it can you what's your best no crow i can't voice? do it no. i absolutely i tried once and was like nope that's putting me being put in a box with a, a hard lock on it um and it wasn't scripted like that it was scripted as di as just dialogue and she came in and did that and we were all like oh my god it's a Catherine gem it's why you it's why she is what she is she is she is she is, she, you cannot replace her. She is such a unique, I'm so, we're so lucky to have her. And I say that not just having a bias because I get to work with her every day, but her, what she has given us in terms of the breadth and scope of her career and the choices that she makes and the, how intellectualized all of her character work is and how thoughtful she is when it comes to the approaches that she takes for each and every one of the characters that she plays. They're all so interesting and they're all so slightly left of center. Her impulses are so unique and, and there will never be anyone like her. Uh, and this was yet another example of just, you write something and she takes that and, and makes magic out of it. Uh-oh, what was that? Tiny speed bump. Speed bump? We're in the middle of nowhere. Why would there be a speed bump? No, I think I... I think I hit an animal. Oh, it's the circle of life, John. You've just provided a nice Passover Seder for a family of hawks. Ew. John! Don't get too close here. We can't afford you contracting mange. It's a cat, Moira. I hit a cat. Well, what kind of allurophobe sends their kitty out to play on such a busy stretch of highway? Well, what I love is is you watch her for so We've seen her do so many characters over mm -hmm. the years that you know when you start watching this show, like, oh, she's putting on this whole affectation right. and everything. But especially when you're binging it, you kind of start, that is who she is. Mm -hmm. And it's I, what I loved about getting to see her play that character in, in this Crows movie, The Croning, is you start, you, you, you're reminded how much she's acting. Mm -hmm. Like, she's not <laughs> just, she's not just that one. She's not more, oh, yeah. like, that she's... No, she made some choices as an actor. She made some difficult choices <laughs> that she now has to keep. Like, yeah. like you and Alexis have your isms, and, and sure. everyone has them, but, like, she's got a whole other level yeah. of going on. Yeah. That was, was a sentence. It was great, and then... You know, it gives Moira a thrust. It gives her sort of rocket fuel to to sort of mm -hmm. come back to town with this new lease on life and an excitement that she might have a hit on her hands. And this might be something that gets her back into the industry and the hope, um, the hope and the confidence and the fact that she sort of comes back speaking. <laughs> Bosnian Maybe. and like <laughs> being that person that sort of owns her experience and uh, also that she can speak uh, uh, Chinese or Japanese it, uh -huh. as well. Like she, yeah. we get some gems of yeah, her yeah, this yeah. season. She's, mm -hmm. she's sort of like really sort of is a is a, a an excitable person when it comes to just the education that you get from travel and, and culture, um, and uh, and that really sets her on a fun path. And we get her, you know, halfway through the season, she agrees to direct 
the town musical sort of as her as her going away present because she thinks you know my career is about to take off and and I will leave the town with this piece of art and that will be a farewell for me um, which is really great and it's so new for Moira because she's been so beaten down by the experience that to give her that sense of mm -hmm. hope was was crucial mm -hmm. um, and all the while you know, you have all the the rest of the characters sort of winning. Everybody is in a place that feels like it's on a tr on track to 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 see results. Um, and it was a really fun season to to play and a really fun season to write because it was very uh, hopeful and and excitable. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce Season 5 of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Let's talk about a couple a couple moments from the season specifically. Let's talk about housewarming, right? Huh? So uh, Patrick wants to throw a Patrick's housewarming party. Patrick's got an apartment. He's got an apartment. And they kind of go with my overall theme of good old-fashioned high school slumber party. So. Mm-hmm. I still don't know why you were so quick to dismiss my theme idea. Where is anybody going to find glass-blown Venetian masks around here? Besides, people are kind of excited about the high school idea. Okay, walk me through the high school idea. Models and teen actors are just going to lounge around in their bras and thongs and take Polaroids of themselves all night? What was your high school experience like? What was yours like? Besides, where are we going to find a salad bowl of E this last minute? You know, I think this could be a kind of a... A fun opportunity for you to rewrite your past a little bit. Mm. It's just that my parents have spent like an astounding amount of money on therapy to try to do that already. So forgive me for not wanting to run back into the fire. His idea of the perfect theme for a housewarming party is high a high school, school slumber, slumber party. party. Yeah, which sounds fun to me. Totally sounds fun. Yeah, <laughs> your face <laughs> like did, didn't understand it. <laughs> Um, you know, his, his, his experience was very different as he likes to say, like, so what people are going to walk around in like bras and thongs and like take, take there's bowls of, there's bowls, bowls, bowls of, of e. E. Yeah. Uh, and Patrick was like, nah, I don't know what you're So I like the was. little reveal in that moment where David is like, I actually wasn't miserable in high school. Like, right. I just yeah. didn't like it. I just didn't like said, it. Yeah. Like it wasn't this terrible experience. No, just he's wasn't. just a very dramatic person. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And an alarmist at best. Uh, and then you have like kind of the worst slash meanest slash best sibling led game, like escalating games, right? So you have Never Have I Ever, and then you have Spin the Bottle, which of course leads to people making Ted. out with other Ted people. Ted shows up, yeah. finally leans into just having some fun. Pre drinks, shows up a little tipsy, yeah. plays a game of Spin the Bottle, it lands on David, and instead of re spinning, Ted just goes in for the kiss. David, do you have anything you want to say to me and Patrick? Actually, yes. Now, as an attractive and popular kid at a house party, I can confidently say it's very fun. That's it? That's all you have to say? What's going on here? Mm, things got effed and we're not having fun anymore. For what it's worth, I am having a great time. 
You're like a tsetse fly? Where's your cell phone boyfriend? On my cell phone. Okay. You're not having fun? I don't know, David. Sure. What exactly did I do wrong here? Oh, I don't know, David. Mm, was it the time you kissed my boyfriend? Or was it the time you kissed my boyfriend? Mm. I think it was the time you kissed her boyfriend. Okay. Enthusiastically. And that sparks a big uh, sibling, <laughs> a wedge between the siblings. And also, we get to see a side of Patrick that we don't often get to see, which is uh, a, a weakness. Uh, and not a weakness necessarily, but a, a, a glitch in the system because Patrick's been a pretty <laughs> confident person. And level-headed. <laughs> level-headed, rational. And now we get to see a little bit of jealousy, but he won't admit it because he's very prideful. So how does that play itself out? And I think he thinks he shouldn't be. Like, it, I think that's he, knows, what, like, he knows deep down that he probably shouldn't be because it really does mean nothing. But uh, to, to show a little bit of the cracks and the veneer of Patrick, I think is really valuable in, in um, building him up to what becomes of his character mm -hmm. over the, in the second half of the, mm -hmm. of the show. Also, like, the most awkward kiss between Patrick, Patrick and, and Alexis, Alexis <laughs> who are trying to prove a point, and, uh -huh. and they're proving it. Like, uh -huh. their point is they're making a bigger deal out of this yeah, than anyone. I think, I've, I think I, like, watch it in awe and basically say, like, how does that feel <laughs> for you? Um, it was a really, that was one of those. And we also had a big, a lot of our cast was there that day, and it's always fun when you get to play with everybody. Yeah. Um, and you see... Moira and Johnny have to literally try to take care of a baby, of a baby. Yeah. using a binder mm -hmm. of information that they're still almost terrible at it. Oh, that was shocking. I know, right? And I get the aerial shot from my love scene. No, no, I'm talking about the kid. To think this little thing could create so much destruction. Oh, you've completed the diaper substitution. Aren't you the Sephardic Mr. Clean? Well, I did the kid, but I'm not doing the bathroom. It appears you may need to change yourself, Mr. Rose. What is that on your shoulder? Oh, Moira, he spit up on me. And he spit up in the playpen. Ooh, that cannot be good, John. Its body is ejecting things. What did you do to it? Yeah, and it's been made very clear at this point that they have not in any way taken care of their no. children. That I think at the, there was one episode where we talk about how they think they've been very good parents, and David says, we were in a different, you put us in a different wing of the house. <laughs> and they have two different conflicting ex ex reasons why. Yeah. Like, one of yeah. the answers is, like, it was it was so far away. It was built that way. Uh -huh. Yeah. And we couldn't help. Gardening. Or there yeah. was, like, a complete, like, Boyer had a yeah. completely random. Yeah, yeah, there was no reason for it. They just wanted the kids away. They didn't want to hear them cry in the middle of the night. Um, so, yeah, that was a very fun Yeah. And even even with sort of seeing that flicker of Patrick being less than perfect, having that jealousy, it doesn't devolve into this like series of misunderstandings, right? It doesn't. It's not no, it like it resolves like, itself. They can as still the, have an adult I conversation. Think life does. Yeah. Um, and I think w what has always been sort of a, a through line of the show is just. By the end of every episode, we want everything to be okay, I think, you know. But you do it in a way that doesn't wrap it up, like, cheesily. And I also appreciate that your characters talk about the issue. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't, have, you don't have an arc about people being mad at each other but not telling each other why. I didn't like how we left things this morning. Me neither. I'm the one that should be sorry. No, I should have been more direct, and we should have just talked this through. And I actually did some research on the Maldives, and there's this beautiful resort that we could stay at. It just means we might have to work there part-time to cover the cost. But I feel like I could teach windsurfing. Of course you've done research on this trip. 
You've done too much for me already. You do too much for me. And so, I think it's time that I give something back to you. My Fitbit? No, I lost that. But the last thing I want to do is stand between you and this job. You've worked so hard and I'm so proud of you. And so, yes, Ted Mullins, I will go to the Cayman Islands with you. Uh, do you mean the Galapagos? Get wherever the turtles are. Well, because I think I almost have an aversion to storytelling where you as an audience member are like, why can't you just fix the problem? Yeah, yeah. Why can't they just ha talk about it, but instead it's, it's like so we're, we're being led on this meandering journey where it's like a simple conversation would yeah. We would be good friends. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Cut right through the bullshit yeah. and just right. tell me what's going on. But so on. much of sitcoms and rom-coms, especially like the entire genre, is based on there are these misunderstandings right. and somehow they keep missing each other when they try to right. clear it up and somehow no one learns from their lessons. Mm -hmm. And I feel like one of the things I love about Schitt's Creek is you've just decided we don't have to be stupid. Like we do stupid things and we make mistakes yeah. and we like I was like, have, no, no, we're stupid. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but we don't have to like actually like add that? to it in that way. Like yeah. you can also then have these moments where you pull yourself out of it as a human and are like, or I could just tell you I'm kind of being an asshole here and yeah. I'm sorry. Because the, yeah, I think that was, you know, it has to play real. I think the minute you, the audience feels like these people are not real people is yeah. when, you, when you lose your audience. Yeah. So. I think other than Moira and even Moira, but all the characters are, are more self-aware than other shows may have written the, the roses. Right. Like, like David knows when he's being Always, Extra. yeah, and I think that's fun to play. <laughs> Someone who knows exactly that they're like walking down a path that they shouldn't or that yeah. they're overstepping, but once you've overstepped, and we've all been in those situations where it's Kevin. like, I could be a good person or like a <laughs> rational or stable person, but I'm too embarrassed now, so I'm just gonna keep running with it and yeah. see what happens, and yeah. inevitably it just yeah. crashes and burns, but. Okay, a couple of sweet things I want to talk about before we get into the David and Patrick of the back half of sure. it. So I love in the hospice where you see this moment where so Stevie and Johnny go to this regional hospitality awards and there's a moment where Stevie's very heartbroken because this relationship she thought right. she was going to have with Amir doesn't go the way she wants and there's like the relationship between the two of them I, we have mm -hmm. not talked enough about today but I feel like that way that not only are they figuring out how to be a family mm -hmm. for themselves but they have now welcomed Stevie into their yeah. You I'm not worried about. What the hell is your secret, Stevie? You just stand your solid ground, refusing to be anything but you. Hmm. Never thought I'd say this about anyone in this town but you. You're very, very cool. And whether you set sail or stay put, that's not going to change. Uh, her Who is, scene where, she, where yeah. she's worried that they're going to leave. I know, I get like emotional thinking about it. Emily's so good, she, and she she's navigated that character with such care um, because you can't just be one thing. I mean, Stevie has always been sort of, in, in my opinion, the eyes of the audience. She's always been the rational thinker. She's always been the person that says the things that I think our audience are thinking, and mm -hmm. you need that person as a viewer. You need that one character who you're like, okay, yeah, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm with her on this always. Mm -hmm. And this season, like all of our seasons, was about peeling back the layers. And it took Stevie a long time, I think, to get to this point where she now has to ask herself, I've been here a long time and I've been behind that desk for a long time. What do I want? And do I want something that's beyond what I have? Mm -hmm. uh, and it took for us 
breaking her down a little bit in order to build her back up again and for her to find someone that she thinks she's in a relationship with and for that to not work out and for her to let her guard down and then have her have that disappointment was so crucial in the trajectory of the Stevie storyline through the season. Um, and you see that kindness from Johnny as he's trying yeah, to... The but then also that great moment when Moira shows up and is like, you are going to be in Cabaret. I can just yeah. tell... You're enough of a mess yeah, that you're going to find Moira's been looking this. for a lead, and in that, we get to see Alexis auditioning. Are you ready? Let's do it. I'm a Lamborghini. I'm a Hollywood star. I'm a little bit tipsy when I drive my car. I'm expensive sushi. I'm a cute, huge yacht. I'm a little bit single, even when I'm not. I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit of la 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 la. A little bit of Lexus. La 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 la. Oh, a little wow. bit of Lexus. Okay. Wonderful. Okay, yeah. Um, I still actually had a few more verses. And in the last verse, I really get to showcase my range. Let's talk about that because um, no matter how much I tried to push myself through getting through this season quickly so that we could, you know, do all our prep and talk yeah. to today, I had to stop and watch a little bit of Lexus probably 15 times. So and she wrote. That. She wrote that song. Did yeah. she come? To, did you like say like it she's was a similar audition. situation? We knew that she was going to sing it. We knew that there, we, <laughs> there was going to be a single, that it was going to be the self-titled track from her reality sh short-lived reality show. Okay, a little bit it's of called critically reviewed limited reality series. Is how she introduces it. And my question for you is, which of those words go together? <laughs> like, is her re sense of reality limited? Was it <laughs> critically? Like, anyway, I think I, when you are raised I, under Moira, who has crafted the art of manipulating language that sounds impressive, but if you were to actually break it apart yes. as you've just done. <laughs> Her is, limited reality. Means nothing. Yes. Uh, critically reviewed. Limited reality. Limited reality, reality series <laughs> is. Alexis's life. Alexis's life. Um, <laughs> it means nothing. And the, and the the I guess the truth is it lasted a, maybe an episode and then was yanked <laughs> off the air. She also says part of her, her audition experience is that she went to an acting coach that the producers told her to go to for her own reality show. <laughs> so she clearly like wasn't even doing the right thing as herself <laughs> on the reality show that she needed to be coached into acting a part. Um, I said to Annie, we have this song. This is the title. Uh... Do you want to take a stab at it? And, and her, she, hus like, her did, husband so, is a is in a band. Yeah, band? she has always sort of been surrounded by musicians and new people and producers and and said, yeah, let me see what I can do. And uh, came back to us with a banger. It's so, it's so perfect fun. because it's, it's so like good. it's too good not to take seriously, it's but so it's good. also terrible. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's very the it's dialogue. Very, like, Paris I mean, Hilton stars are blind. Like it's that stars is, are blindy. Um, but then the has like a song. real Britney like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Banger to it. You can like, dance to it. Not, yeah. And I often will now, I'll get like tweets from uh, predominantly gay men who are in clubs and oh, the song will play. Is it really getting. So it's can, like a gay club thing. That's it's amazing. like, I think gay bars and clubs are like playing it, which to me is the greatest compliment. Well, you can, I love you that you can listen to romantic it. romantic ballad. If anyone knows what they're talking about, it's gays in a freaking club. It's like. If you didn't know, you can. If you're listening, you can Finger listen the to the whole track. You it can is buy available. It. It's there. You can. Yeah. It's. It is available. I think on every. Yeah, yeah I, I listened to it on Spotify for a solid thirty minutes last night. It's a great song. Yeah. Um, so she came to us with that, and we were like, "Yep, yeah, great, perfect." 
Um, we're also going to release it, and that'll be a wonderful thing. Uh, but, sorry, where we meet? We, her audition. We, that's, her audition. That's, yeah, that, there was that, and instead Stevie ends and up without auditioning. And she also choreographed that whole... Wow. I mean, if what that's not impressive dancing, then I don't well, know. Well, so, so did Emily have musical experience? Uh, because nobody did. Wow. None of them And yet did. you staged an entire musical and in yet season. And yet we stayed, which again, for me, I knew Noah did. Yeah. And I knew that our cast was strong enough to, d to do it. Uh, as an, again, as an actor, I, I want our cast to come back season after season and feel excited to play these roles. I want them to feel like their characters are always You don't always want them to changing. feel like Constance Wu? <laughs> You don't have to comment on that. <laughs> I, 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 I want the pickup to be met with enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. By uh, everyone and involved. Joy, uh, uh, you know, and, and I think a musical felt like an inevitability almost. Mm -hmm. It was like the perfect cross-section of like taking our characters, throwing them into this fun house and having Moira again get to show her strengths. Uh, and this time as a director. Why Cabaret? Uh, because I knew what Stevie was going to do at the end of it. And I knew how that song could service that character. And um, coincidentally, Emily, from a very young age, had always dreamed of playing S Sally Bowles. And as she said, I could never have dreamed that playing Stevie playing Sally would be how <laughs> I did it. And I wouldn't have it any other way. And uh, so I knew that that number was really special, and I knew that the theatricality and the aesthetic of Cabaret would lend itself to Moira so well. Um, and the music was sort of fun, and, uh, and it was political in a way that sort of felt for a small town is not necessarily mm -hmm. the kind of content I mean, they could have done cats. and Could have done cats. Jocelyn wanted cats, but, the, but apparently the, they thought it was too <laughs> political. Um, so... <laughs> you know, that was always something we were doing. We were building towards the Stevie revelation, and yeah. uh, and then we started putting the show together, and uh, and our cast started to uh, rehearse. And I wanted it in the end to be another win for Moira. I wanted it. I wanted us as an audience to see this woman has taste, and when push comes to shove, she delivers. So we didn't want it to be a joke. We wanted it to play regional, which I knew we would get because. Our actors are not, we're not dealing with like Broadway actors, although I think Noah could, you know, be on Broadway in a heartbeat. Um, Alexis was busting out the dance moves. Alexis was really <laughs> tried a high kick, didn't work. Yeah. Um, and it was really fun. And I got to sit in in the rehearsals and um, we got to sit through the sort of the orchestration and the and the vocal rehearsals and the training and the money number that, that Emily and Noah did. I mean, it was really impressive. And it was really fun. It was fun for all of us. And it created this really wonderful sort of team building exercise that led to the show. Um, 
that turned out to be wonderful. And uh, and there was, you know, the, the the cabaret number or the Wilkeman number was great. And then uh, and then Stevie's big, mm-hmm. um, maybe maybe this time it was perfect. Okay, we have to talk about briefly meet the parents and mm-hmm. the hike, right? So uh, leading up to this big beautiful proposal. Yeah. So all this time your your parents thought they were just talking to your your business partner. Okay. David, I know my parents are good people. I just <laughs> hmm I can't shake this this fear that there's a small chance that this could change everything. That they might see me differently or, or treat me differently. <laughs> I'm going to deal with this as soon as I see them next, okay? Okay, what you're dealing with is very personal. And it's something you should only do on your terms. I don't know how to do this quickly, but where do you want to start? Uh, I knew that I wanted there to be a side of Patrick that we hadn't seen yet. I wanted there to be a skeleton in the closet. I, again, with a character that's so confident, it's so important, especially knowing what I wanted to end with in terms of their relationship. There were certain things that they had to go through as a couple first mm-hmm. that could lay the groundwork for what became uh, their in, in the engagement episode in 13. Uh, and this felt like... A, a way of addressing the ease with which I think his experience has sort of come into play. Uh, it, it was very supportive, obviously, and uh, and I felt there needed to be some kind of, we needed to see a little bit more struggle from him. So to reveal that he hadn't told his parents and that there was this secret that he'd been harboring um, because he'd felt so safe in the town that he didn't feel the need to do that or address that or confront that with his family uh, and that you know, it, he was going to be forced into that situation because David, who had been taking calls from his family and talking to them quite casually, thinking that they yeah. were thinking about him as a as a boyfriend and not a business partner, but never thinking yeah. that it could so have been perceived this as... this assumption. The scene where, in particular, the scene where David and Patrick sit down and David is trying to explain basically what he's done and, mm-hmm. and a little bit of what's happened and the emotional like the way you pivot from I feel like feeling I felt heartbroken for David that he's like wait you didn't tell them right to then immediately having so much empathy for Patrick who's right. like struggling so much to yeah. figure out how to do this and then kind of back again when David's like willing to basically go back into the closet if necessary to right. get his boyfriend through this yeah it's a lot it was a it was, and it was a big scene it was a long scene it was I think the longest scene we've ever shot uh Again, there. I think there are moments where I feel like I owe it to my own experience, and I feel like I owe it to to anyone who's had that kind of experience to really take the time to authenticate what that is and authenticate the impulses and the feelings and the fears. And I knew that I wanted the outcome to be positive because we don't have homophobia in our town. Uh, So it was about how do you tell a coming out story that had never been told before and how do you end it in a way that is positive and supportive and that the fears, the trepidation, the anxiety is only coming from someone's own Mm -hmm. sort of overthinking uh, 
of, of the experience, which I had done myself. I mean, I think part of that came from me mining my own experience and knowing that my parents would be fine with me. But there's always the what ifs. And uh, and that's that was really compelling to play. And I think fortunately, Noah is such a great actor and was able to handle that so beautifully. And, uh, you know, again, every decision that's made, it was a it's a it's a tricky scene to write because you want to keep the comedy alive, but you want to honor the weight of what the character is going through. And um, and I think for for my character who walks into this with a fear that maybe the relationship that I thought I was having was was not quite as complete as he had assumed was met with the with the the reality and the truth of the situation which I think for David has the ability to destabilize him because he's been sort of lied to and because relationships have always been quite tricky but to override his impulses of saying like my life is over and this is of course what's happening and choose to be a pillar of support to this person instead of making it about him I think worked in servicing the character of David and servicing the Patrick's sort of struggle and uh, yeah it was a again I think for me it was you, you you feel like people are coming to our show to laugh but I also felt really compelled to tell this story uh, and and tell it as as best I possibly could. And, and sometimes it's not going to be funny and sometimes mm-hmm. it's going to be quite serious. But I think in the end, um, you know, we, we we tried to squeeze some laughs out of it as well. well yeah, I laughed. I definitely cried then. I definitely cried at the proposal. Like, yeah. you, you got me. What's going on? So I used to come on this hike a lot. When I first moved here, and I was uh, I was developing feelings for this guy I just gotten into business with, and I didn't know what to do about it because I didn't know if that guy had the same feelings or if I'd ever be able to muster up the courage to let him know how I felt. And now here he is, the love of my life, standing in front of me. This just felt like the perfect place to ask you to marry me. Are you sure? Easiest decision of my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah. 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 Let's talk about the proposal. Sure. So you've got this hike. You have like, in some ways, sort of like a, one of the most contentious scenes between the two of them mm-hmm. that we've really seen for a while yep. where they're bickering, they're annoyed, like, like genuinely annoyed with yeah. each other. Yeah. And yet the payoff, you know, they get to the top of this mountain right. is this proposal. So yeah. what about that? Were you surprised by in the process of making it? That I knew that I didn't want it to be easy, yeah. and I knew that I wanted Patrick to have made a mistake and to have gotten a little overexcited in the sort of romanticism of the act and chosen something that he sort of overestimated David's excitement. <laughs> and then to get there and realize almost from the first scene that this was not going to be right and to play the frustration of... Patrick realizing slowly but surely that this is not going well and that this sort of idyllic scenario that he had cr- concocted in his mind was not going to play, play out how it wanted. Um, that was really fun because you got to see Patrick really on edge and the reason he's on edge is because he knows what what's coming at the end of it. So for David, he's just being himself, but Patrick's <laughs> being so uppity and and 
extra and for Patrick. Extra. Which is really not usually his thing. And again, it's like you want people to earn the yeah. good stuff. You want them to earn the goodness. And for Patrick to finally say, I don't want to do this anymore, and then to step on the stick, and which actually happened to me <laughs> uh, that year. I had, was taking my dog for a walk and stepped on a branch that went right through my shoe. Oh. Um, it was fine. I'm fine. Uh, but it was a strange thing. And I thought, okay, it, everything goes to shit. And then for David to be the one, again, to pick up the pieces and say, no, this is something you've done. And I'm sorry that I haven't been respectful to the process. Let's get it done. And then for sort of David to be rewarded with what happens, uh, I thought was a really nice um, t- turn and mm-hmm. twist. Because it was almost going to fall apart. And, you know, he... He yeah, David is like it. so genuinely surprised. Does it's right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really doesn't. It, it's not he, the kind of like it's, halfway through you're like, wait, is this person about to propose to me? It's just like complete shock. Yeah. How did y'all choose what the engagement rings? I, yes, let's talk I about the very, ring. very early on that I wanted them to. Once I knew that it was working with Noah, I knew that we were going to build towards uh, an engagement. And I, as soon as we thought, as soon as the idea of engagement came in, I'm like, oh, it has to be four gold rings to replace his four silver rings because they were such a part of who he is. And I also felt like it was a beautiful way and an easy way of showing just how well Patrick knows David. How much attention he's paying. Yeah, Yeah. it was like a really uh, easy, (laughs) from a lazy writer standpoint, it was an easy way of of adding like an extra sucker punch to the emotionality of that scene by saying like, oh, he really sees this person and knows what he wants and and is thoughtful and caring and, and has taken the time to really know who this person is. And, mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, I get to at the end of all of this, go home with one of those rings, <laughs> which is fun. Nice. Yeah. All right. I mean, this gets us to the end of season five, yes. which is where Moira finds out her movie has been shelved, yeah. which is devastating. And I don't think that that weight of that played to me until you fully described what was happening there. Yeah. Um, so I can't wait to see how that continues. For people that are listening to this that uh, are excited for season six, uh, what can you tell us? It's a, it's a daunting task, the idea of writing a final season of a show, uh, particularly one that I have been so close to and love and respect so much. And I think the, the fans of the show have been so enthusiastic and and loving and supportive. I, you know, I obviously want to honor everybody, but it really comes down to looking at, at both expectation and need mm-hmm. and reconciling sort of a happy medium where you can say, I think at the end of the day, even if everybody doesn't necessarily agree on what happens, they can understand that it's meant to happen that way. Uh, and I no want to have fun. No pressure. I wanted to have fun. And I think the great thing is only in the past six months have I think people really started to watch the show. <laughs> and we had written most of the last season by then. So I sort of just missed this wave of awareness mm. that I think probably would have put an added pressure on on things. So what we were able to do was very pure and was very in line with our whole experience of, of doing this show. Because for the longest, we're just a, a very tiny show up in Canada that's sort of slowly but surely made its way into people's sort of day-to-day lives. And uh, I hope that we honor the show and we honor the fans and the people that have 
taken the time to watch the show with, you know, taken time out of their lives to sort of sit down and, and be a part of this with us. It's really hard, but I'm really pleased and I'm proud and excited and I think it's gonna be really fun and, um, you know, uh, I wish I could say more, but uh, there's, there's, there's lots of stories still to tell. Well, we're excited to hear them also. And not wait. <laughs> yes. Um, thank you so much, Dan. Thank you so this much for doing an this. This has been amazing experience a lovely to talk through, walk through an memory entire lane. show with you. Everyone, thank you so much for joining us. That's the first five seasons of Schick's Creek. You can watch all of them on Netflix. Um, you can go back and rewatch them all again and then listen to all of this again and figure out what you missed and send us your questions. And we will do our best to keep hounding Dan to get more answers out of them uh thank you for watching ew's binge thank you patrick yeah you. i'm so glad we were able thank to do you, this thank, thank you thank you, you. Oh, i feel like we're family, family. 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 <laughs> uh, right. definitely like subscribe comment uh, about the podcast uh again you can follow me at, at patrick gomez la i'm shana naomi on everything i'm dan levy and you are dan levy and this is it this is it this is it for us until season six where i come back to had a last chapter to absolutely thank you everyone for binging with us thank you for joining us thanks Bye. for ew thank you so much for listening through these five episodes of binge with dan levy We've got still more on this journey with Schitt's Creek. To start, there are a couple of amazing bonus episodes that will be released in the next month. Annie Murphy and Dustin Milligan each join us to talk through some of their favorite episodes from the first five seasons. For those of you who have been asking, we will also be posting longer video on our YouTube as well, so be sure you're subscribed over there. And then we just announced a new podcast, EW On Set. Patrick and I went on location with Schitt's Creek as they filmed their sixth and final season. So starting next January, when new episodes arrive on CBC and Pop TV, the morning after each one airs, Patrick and I will be recapping, digging into every new twist and turn, and we'll be exclusively joined by Dan, Annie, Dustin, Noah Reed and Emily Hampshire, Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy, who as they were shooting these emotional final scenes were also ducking into little pop-up podcast studios to tell EW all about how they feel about it. So keep an eye and an ear out for EW on set. A few thanks and credits for this season of Binge, truly a team effort. This podcast was executive produced by me, Shana Naomi Crockmall, and produced and co-hosted by Patrick Gomez. Alaman Johannes helped with production and related digital and social content. Thanks to the Meredith Studio crew and the EW video team for recording and Patrick Antonetti at Cadence 13 for editing. Thank you to the teams at Schitt's Creek, Pop TV, and obviously Dan Levy for all of their time. And thank you to everyone who's listened this far. Please do continue to rate, comment, share with other fans. You've been a wonderful audience. We love that you love this show as much as we do. Listen up for more binge. Mm -hmm.